Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today we'll chat with Paul LeCrone. Over the last month, we read the book Walden by Henry David Thoreau. So we discuss living intentionally and minimally. It's a really nice conversation. You can follow Paul at a penguin latte. Let's begin. All right, so I'm here with Paul LeCrone, and over the last month, we read the book Walden by Henry David Thoreau. Why don't you give a summary of what the book is about? The book is about Henry David Thoreau, goes off into the woods, lives on Walden Pond for, I think it was two, two years, if I remember correctly. And I think the property was owned by Ralph Waldo Emerson as well. I always get those names mixed up. Me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> It's like if I had started this off saying Walden is about Ralph Waldo Emerson going off to live on property owned by Henry David Thoreau. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah. It's a, it's a lot of – it's one of those books where it's many different things at once. So it's this great description of what life is like in nature and also these little micro essays on philosophy mm-hmm. and a life well lived. So he went out to go live in the woods not to – separate himself from society and to be like a hermit he was very hermetical but he wanted to live with purpose and intention and to live he was like the original minimalist yeah not well i mean there's a lot of cultures who live in this way before him but he was one of the one of the first people to kind of put these ideas on paper as far as i know well maybe seneca seneca the younger you you get little glimpses of other philosophical thinkers in this book like Seneca writing about only living to your means and all of that fun stuff so it's yeah. it's uh I think that's the common misconception at least that that I had of the book Walden like you hear about Walden and it's like oh this person just for two two years just didn't affiliate with society he lived in the woods and that's not what it is and right. it's almost more relatable today I'll hear a lot about Buddhism and the Buddha goes in goes into nature and then eliminates suffering by, by all this meditation. But as as you probably would agree with, there's a way to implement philosophy and ideas within society and making yeah. an impact on society without just retreating and living by yourself. Well, I like what you said that in Buddhism you eliminate suffering through meditation. And again, it's that misconception of to eliminate suffering, you have to disregard everything that makes life meaningful. No, you pick and you choose the things that bring you meaning. And so for Thoreau, he understood that being caught up in the news headlines and being caught up in very banal, very minuscule habits of life wasn't giving himself meaning. And he could actually see people kind of putting on a persona around him, you would ask these people, well, how happy are you with your life? Because you're, you're living from, I guess stimulus is the right word, like stimulus to stimulus. You have your alcohol and your coffee and all of that, all of those things. And you, you never sit down to take time to really reflect and to take time to appreciate the things that you have as well. So, And there's just so much wisdom in a lot of his little mini essays here about that, about and there's Huxley in there too, like we've talked about. That yeah, 
stopping yeah, all the exactly. <laughs> there's so many things at once here yeah exactly it's like that you you don't alleviate you alleviate you can alleviate suffering by taking time to just pause yeah and noticing the things around you and even when he's describing nature it's just like mm-hmm. so beautiful and meaningful hmm. i've got one here that i really liked let's see yeah it starts right here when we are unhurried and wise, we perceive that only great and worthy things have any permanent and absolute existence, that petty fears and petty pleasures are but the shadow of the reality. This is always exhilarating and sublime. By closing the eyes and slumbering and consenting to be deceived by shows, sounds like Huxley, men establish and confirm their daily life of routine and habit everywhere which still is built on purely illusory foundations. So again, it's like being caught up in the day. Not that the day-to-day isn't necessary, it is, but you have to be able to separate yourself from the routines of business and the habits of getting things done from really what's very meaningful in life. About Because if you get too caught up in those things, life is just going to pass you by. You think you're living. And in some way, yeah, you're, you're living, but... You're too caught up in the bustle and the hustle and the noise. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and you do that a lot. You, you've you been disconnecting a lot more than me lately. I'm very jealous of that because I haven't been able to go hiking in a while. <laughs> <Which I love laughs> yeah, because I'll message you and like, hey, are you still alive? Oh, you're on your barn. Gotcha. No worries. <laughs> yeah. Last night I went for a, a bike ride for like an hour just <laughs> around the city at oh, night. It's so it's great. It's just so... Uh, oh summer nights and it's it's like not hot it's just kind of temperate and i just ride my bike for like five miles probably more than that and then so great it just feels so good it does it does and there's this stigma against wanting to disconnect like we're lazy bums and it's like no we're not we disconnect and we take breaks that way when we get back to work we're refreshed we're more productive if we overwork we're just going to burn out so it's you don't have to go and spend two years in the middle of woods to get this level of self-awareness and refreshment you can spend i mean every morning when i wake up i take a 20 minute walk usually 20 minutes without my phone that's it it's enough for me to feel marcus aurelius wrote about washing away the the dirt of the busy the hustle every day by just taking a little metaphorical bath in nature it's a little yeah. 20 minute walk without your phone that's it just try that out and see how you feel it's not going to like dramatically change your life but it'll give you a sense of peace that's more than worth it you know it's one of the hardest things i did yesterday went to the grocery store and uh didn't bring my phone with me and i'm waiting so i walk i walk three blocks to the grocery store trader joe's and i'm waiting in line for 20 minutes and oh i don't have anything to distract myself with, so I'm just standing there yeah. like an idiot, yeah. just thinking my own thoughts and just waiting, just waiting in line. And it's crazy how that in our lives now and in the 21st century, sitting still, being still, is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I know. I'm. Yeah, it scares me. Naval Ravikant said that it's a superpower to sit by yourself alone. And it's weird how that's a superpower now in some way. But the thing about the cell phone in the line, it's like, you know those little magazines that are on the check stands? Yeah. 
back then those were like the original distractions when you have yeah two minutes to spare and you don't have your cell phone so it's like even if you don't have your cell phone today there's still these old remnants of oh what's over here what's over there what's that yeah look at that (laughs) so we have that so no it's like we fill up our little moments of time with gotta look at the next thing gotta look at the who's saying what behind my back or who's who's saying this over here and like the people that make our phones they know this they no. they study this and and use it to keep our attention the attention economy attention you know? economy yeah and it, you wake up with a certain amount of attention every day and then 11 a.m rolls around and you've <laughs> You've been scrolling for like the last three hours on, on an extreme level, but but no, it's it's very. There, I don't know if have you heard that quote that goes like, most of mankind's problems stem from the fact that we can't sit by ourselves quietly in a room. I forget who's saying this. I'm kind of butchering the quote right now, but it's basically like what you're saying right now is that a lot of our problems just we're so reactive and we want to respond to the next thing and meditation itself just is a great way to build a buffer between your reactions and the thing that happened yeah absolutely i find i find that uh i was just having a conversation with a friend of mine justina on sunday and we were talking about, you know, because this is the first time we've seen each other since everything shut down. So it had been late February was the last time we've seen each other in person. Mm-hmm. And so this was the first time. And we were just talking about how myself and then so many others, it's just like there's nothing else going on. There's no sports. There's no events. There's no live music. There's no there's no everything's closed. So you can't go anywhere. And it's like you're stuck with your own thoughts. And if you're not in a relationship, you're by yourself. And it's like, wow, I got to, I'm just thinking. And then people are repurposing their life and trying to find meaning and making adjustments. Um, Yeah. It really reveals the curtain. Yeah. Hey, what are you going to do with your time? And I think what you're doing is really cool because we all have the power to start our own media companies. And so when, there's no new media to see and to do and to latch on to. Well, what do we do? Well, we can create our own media. We can we can start a podcast. We can start a blog. We can. One cool thing about spending time with your thoughts is that you can actually use that in a creative way. You can say, what am I thinking about lately? What can I share with the world? And the world can just be five or ten people. You can just start something where you can just share your thoughts however vague they are you can say hey here i am in this city i'm, I'm doing these things this is my life and i want to share with you what i've been learning and thinking about and struggling with yeah and that's like I, I find it hard to see anything like better to do than that than, than to say like i'm comfortable with my own thoughts and i'm going to share them with the world that's something that it's hard. I mean, the most people don't people. don't get to that level. I don't think. Right, and it's not that people who don't get to that level are should be cast off and they're lazy or right. they're never going to amount to anything. It's like it's understandable. It's hard. Self reflection is difficult. It's very tough because, well, one thing it's that we're conditioned to respond and react, and we're very fidgety people. And on the other hand, it's like, well, things arise that we don't want to face, and we think. Oh, 
I feel so guilty for not achieving all these things in my life. And things just bubble up to the surface. And again, meditation is just a great way to be able to, it's that buffer thing. It's like you create a buffer between you and what's going on in your psyche as well, not just the outside world. So it's kind of like both. Like if you can handle, if you can set up that buffer between what you've been thinking about and your reactions to it, then man, you'll be able to, respond very forthrightly to things that happen outside of you too because you've been able like what's in here might be way worse than what's happening out there yeah what's in here really sucks i mean imposter syndrome and then oh man i'm not good enough and you know i'm alone i'm not in a relationship and blah 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 like downward spiral that comes from that it's like if you can really articulate what those feelings are and handle them then that's like a superpower really I'm doing this uh, podcast within the next two weeks. There's this concept that I use, mm-hmm. and uh, it's actually a blog. It's a blog piece on my website right now, and I'm gonna repurpose it as as a podcast episode. But it's mm-hmm. about really just like the healthiest conversation you can have is. So I, I met up with uh, an acquaintance. Uh, this is probably like two or three years ago, and he told me about this reoccurring dream that he has, where he's in an empty airport hangar and he sees like people off in the distance. So he skateboards to them. And then as he gets closer, he realizes that they're all past versions of himself. Hmm. So there's like the 16 year old self, the 20 year old self, the 10 year old self. Hmm. And so you have this conversation with them and you realize that you're, there's no one older than you. You're like the wisest and you, So it's the only people to really compare yourself with are the former versions of yourself because you know the family situation you grew up with, the resources, your experiences that have made you who you are, what you've always dreamed of and what you wanted. If you compare yourself to someone else, all those variables are different. So it's just like you you can't compare yourself because it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I got to remind myself of that too. Like everybody is a victim of it. We all do it. And it's so obvious when you, when you explain it logically, it's like, yeah, yeah, that seems right. But then no, we, we, we do it anyways, but no, the only person you should, we know this, it's like the logical side of our brain knows this, but the irrational side just doesn't want to listen. So yeah, the only person you should compare yourself is who you were before. Absolutely. I've gotten gotten really good at that. Uh, well, increasingly better and better at it. Mm. And when you think about it that way, you're going to start thinking more long-term rather mm. than yeah. short-term. And you're excited because you know that when you're talking to yourself two years from now, uh, the version of yourself that's two years older than you, they're going to know so much more than you right now. So there's this humility that you have to take on too when you're talking with your former selves. Mm. Yeah, because you think of- you're so wise right now because yeah. we're Right in this very moment, we know right. so much. But then, you know, two years from now, you're going to look back on you today and say, I thought I was so wise back then. Wrong. And then two years from that moment, the same thing's going to happen if you right. want to keep learning and growing. And so, yeah, when you compare yourself to other people, you can't not feel bad. Otherwise, if you do feel if you do feel good about it, then you're like a narcissist and you're a jerk. It's like it's so <laughs> cool because I'm comparing myself to this person and that person's nobody. But when you compare yourself to yourself, you feel good in a way that's not so rude. It's like 
yeah. yeah, I made all this progress. I can't help but feel good about that. And if I compare myself to yesterday, who I was a year ago, and I feel bad, then that's a warning sign. you got to pay attention to that. And that's one of the most important skills I think you could ever have. It's it's so useful, and it's humbling, like you said. There's humility in it. And it just goes on and on and on as long as you keep doing it. Maybe one reason why people don't see things that way is because they don't want to face those days where things just feel crummy, and you feel like you're making no progress, or you feel like you've – it's one of those days where – you just don't have enough energy and things are going by very slowly and you feel unproductive and you don't feel as productive as you were yesterday. So you kind of beat yourself over the beat yourself up over that. And that sucks <laughs> for sure. But you can't always have great days. No, you can't. Yeah. Cause that's what life is, is you know? Yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't, you got to have those days that, that suck. Not to say that you got to have those days where like tragedy befalls you, but just, just, just those days where, the gears aren't turning as quickly as you'd like them to be turning. But then maybe on those days, it's like a warning sign that says, hey, we're just going to slow down a bit today. Read some Walden, read some Thoreau. Just take it easy for today and and use leisure time in a way that's still productive. I, I, I view leisure as one of the most productive things you could do. I, I really believe that. I think it's appalling to cultivate a mindset of of anti-breaks and in 80 billion hour work weeks i think it's the worst thing that corporate western society could could do is like oh you want to take a break look you're being so lazy like let's stop that (laughs) i'm so against that do you have a morning routine that you follow i do it's it's rather boring i just i get up restroom meditate for 20 minutes 20 minute walk outside i haven't turned my phone off of airplane mode yet until until i put the blog post up that's when i take my phone off of airplane mode so i'll get up meditate walk sit down and write for hour and an hour and a half and then publish and then airplane mode off and that's that's basically it that's basically it nothing nothing crazy are are you a creature of habit and routine yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's uh absolutely, but I don't I don't think that imposing you want to be careful with imposing habits on yourself because if you if you try to mend somebody else's habit onto your life, you got to be really careful with it because if you're not the kind of person like if you're not a Jocko Willink who wakes up at four o'clock in the morning every day and you try to do that, it might not be as sustaining as a habit that really works for you. Like I'm not really a morning person. I've tried to wake up very early consistently, like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock a.m. It just doesn't really work for me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If, if, if you wake up at 8 in the morning or 9 in the morning, and let's say you work like a late night shift at your job, then that's fine. There's, there's just this ridiculousness of having to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day to be successful. It, it doesn't <laughs> That's just a load of BS. So habits that coincide with your personality are really good to cultivate. If you're an introverted person, cultivate introverted habits. Like spend some time alone every day to recharge. And if you're an extroverted person, maybe your habits have to do with calling people up in the morning and saying, hey, hello. I don't do that. And sometimes I feel bad because I'm not checking in with people. But yeah, the habits really have to fit in with your personality for sure. Do you have any uh, favorite parts of the book? that really struck you i do i really liked the chapter where i lived and what i lived for and then the chapter called reading 
describe what the reading chapter looks like. Reading is about reading. Reading that goes beyond something that you use to navigate signs and signposts and headlines, but reading as sitting down with an old, great, significant book and that Henry Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau said that, yeah, there's, there's a real distinction between, and, and with this subject, I'm always kind of conflicted because I don't want to preach reading as this snobby intellectual thing that aristocrats do, but that you <laughs> should just read whatever appeals to you. You don't have to, the first book you read doesn't have to be like Homer's The Odyssey or whatever, yeah. Shakespeare, like read whatever interests you, but also challenge yourself at the same time to read gradually more difficult books as well. So there's this great, great phrase in reading. It goes like this. Books, the oldest and the best, stand naturally and rightfully on the shelves of every cottage. They have no cause of their own to plead. I really like that one. They have no cause of their own to plead. They're just intrinsically meaningful. But while they enlighten and sustain the reader, his common sense will not refuse them. Their authors are a natural and irresistible aristocracy in every society, and more than kings or emperors exert an influence on mankind. Yes, exactly. Old books still influence us. The people who read them, the people who read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius or any of the ancient good books. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. It's interesting to hear him mention philosophers that I've been getting acquainted with and ideas that I've been familiar familiarizing myself with. He kind of almost, even though this is like 18, is it 1840s, 1850s? I think so, around that, yeah. It, it almost feels like he's a contemporary. Uh, uh-huh, and he's uh-huh. talking about these things <laughs> that, that I'm trying to work on with being more intentional and minimal. And our worlds are completely different. And can you imagine like yeah. the value or what yeah. he's... Imagine him living today and what he would say about I think the about way we're time. living. Is <laughs> yeah, crazy? Like, what would him and Aldous Huxley say about today? I mean, if they were saying these things about the 1840s when none of this existed, holy moly, what would they say about today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would blow their minds. It would blow their minds. They would say, well, we tried. We tried. Give up. <laughs> No, they, they would probably be maybe still somewhat optimistic about the power of intention. And I like that you use the word intention because at the heart of this whole philosophy here, it's just underneath all the – like philosophy, what I like about Stoicism and maybe Thoreau could be considered a, a Stoic in some ways that it's it's an applied philosophy. It's just about knowing what knowing what's your intention, being honest with your intentions, really. Yeah. Really. It's like you don't have to – meander about the definition of some abstract idea about what is is it's about like what am i intending to do with the time that i have today and what can i just disregard and get rid of that isn't bringing me fulfillment that isn't bringing me meaning it could be physical things it could be pursuits jobs and early on in the book thoreau mentioned that it's easier to take on a business or a job than it is to get rid of it to take mm. on a pursuit, because once you're in that pursuit, 
there's yeah. that identification with it, and that's the sunk cost fallacy thing. I've already poured all this time into this pursuit. I know it's not really bringing my life meaning anymore, but I put all this time into it, and if I give up, then I'm a loser. Blah blah blah. Yeah. One thing that um, I thought about this book while reading it, and Catcher in the Rye. I read that maybe like seven months ago. I reread that, mm. and so those are like the only two books within the last year that reminded me of the time that I lived homeless mm. in Chicago. I don't know if you've read uh, Homeless for Human, the book I wrote. I saw the um, TED Talk. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. But it reminded me in particular about the first month that I lived homeless, that I was on the streets, not in the shelter, and it was just me killing time mm. and – I didn't include any of the writing into the book because I thought people would find it boring. Like mm. here I am just talking about my day. Like, oh, today I was on the bus and we're going on the commute. It's heading downtown. And it, the bus filled with uh, a bunch of business professionals is stopped because a group of ducklings are walking across the road. And I find it just hilarious. And just moments like that and observing mothers with their daughters and the frustration and love at the same time and being by the lake and the parks and just observing life for the longest time. So I, I feel like from from living homeless, I two habits that have stuck with me. One is drinking coffee. I didn't drink coffee before uh, I lived homeless because it was one of the happiest moments. I've had is just sitting around the table with a bunch of guys in the morning drinking coffee and just talking about life where like nothing else really matters or is significant, but just in the moment, our interaction together. And then the second one is killing time and observing the world. And I've been like kind of embarrassed by this until I reread Catcher in the Rye because the writing is very similar where this character Holden who's kind of a pain in the ass, if we're honest, all he is is just like observing life in New York City mm. and and the interactions he has with the things. I realized that I always felt guilty about carrying this with me. Like during the day, I'll just go to the museum and just walk around or just ride my bike or do do things that people would find aren't productive or you're not being busy. You're just kind of aloof. What I realized is that it's the, actually the opposite, that it's actually an asset to have and a, a great habit to have rather than feeling ashamed that I spend my time observing the world so much. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like this is really awesome. And so I thought about that with Walden, where when I when I lived homeless, all I had was a backpack full of belongings. That's all I needed. It was like three shirts, uh, a long sleeve T-shirt, a sweatshirt. I had some flip-flops, I had a swim trunks, uh, three pairs of boxers, three pairs of socks, a uh, water bottle, umbrella, a notebook, toiletries, uh, yoga towel. Like, that was it in one backpack. And I just lived with that. And in the shelter, everybody was at a level where once you had what you need, then everything is just – it doesn't really matter. Everything in the shelter was all about your character and your interactions with other people – and it's almost like you have with your backpack, it's like 
this is my toothbrush. And you you build this bond with your belongings because they're your prized possessions. But most people outside of this situation wouldn't value these things the way that these individuals and myself did. And it's just, it's interesting reading Walden and he has that same understanding and philosophy that, you know, I don't really need much in life to be happy. I don't need to chase things that other people want or what they think is happy. I can just take what I need, live my life, live it how I think it will make me the happiest and and then I'll reap the the benefits from it, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like how, yeah, you said prized possession. People have so many possessions. How many prized possessions do you have? I mean, really possessions that you yeah. You, the possessions that you couldn't live without, toothbrush, all the necessities, and then the things that actually give you meaning and purpose. Like this this little object here, this little memento, or this little bust of somebody great, or this piece of paper that has this quote that I see every day that I like having around, possessions like that. We just accumulate so many things that we don't need, and we forget what it is that we actually need. And then yeah, what was cool about what you said about the things that were meaningful to you were, were shifting in that moment. Like, what's more valuable to you now are these conversations that you're having with people. And maybe you, maybe you not specifically, but people would wake up and they think, oh, I got to have this thing around me or I need to go and do this thing or I need to have this cup of coffee. But when you're in that situation where those things aren't ac- accessible to you, you're like, you're, you're, repl- you're like shifting your list of values like conversations with people with buddies around me is now more meaningful than having a morning cup of coffee or or doing both at the same time as well yeah and Thoreau would have these interactions with people where they would say well how could you live like that and yeah he, he just it's so hard to respond to those things because you can't help but say well how can you live like that yeah one is no better than the other it's just understanding what you want out of life and then pursuing that you know, it's, yeah, it's, deciding for yourself what that is exactly, and maybe that also ties into the comparison thing because we think we know what we want because we see other people going after fame and fortune and huge houses and huge followers on Instagram or whatever, but we don't ever take the time to decide what it is that we want. Yeah. It's like I want this, and that might not be making 200 grand per year. Maybe I'm happy with. 80 grand per year, but that's okay. Cause I'm going to live in a tiny home or whatever. And I don't want to have a bunch of possessions. So it's maybe that's, too, that's uh, your happiness. Thoreau talks about working like one day a week and yeah. that provides for the rest of the six days. <laughs> and it's like using, being more efficient with your time and intentional with your time that yep. you don't have to waste. You have more leisure time, right? You're talking about leisure before and how, how it's it's such a great thing to have exactly yeah you focus on one thing focus on one thing with intention really really well and don't try to fool yourself into thinking that you can multitask by working on 40 things at once and working an amount of hours that isn't sustaining long term yeah yeah the whole one day a week thing and maybe that was why tim ferris included that book at the end of the four hour work week which is oh did he yeah, he, yeah. at the end of the four-hour work week, there's a list of um, recommended readings. And that was in – Walden was in the section about travel and about um, a minimalist lifestyle. So that's how I 
got into the book because, oh, Tim Ferriss read it. It must be pretty good. And it, it does. Yeah. It makes sense. It ties into that whole focusing on what's going to give your life meaning, the work that makes your life fulfilling. And it's a it's a long process to find what that is. And a lot of people, myself, I would say included, it's easy to feel guilty because we haven't found what that work is and we're always reiterating what that is. But you can't just theorize about what it is, what that work you can't theorize all the time about the work that's going to give you meaning. You have to try things out. You have to experiment. And so yeah. you have to that's, make, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, you have that's to put the biggest it out thing the is trying, world. starting, yep. just making adjustments. Yeah. It's gonna tough. fail. And yeah. I, I think uh, I was listening to one of Tim Ferriss's podcast episodes recently, uh, where he had uh, Yuval Harari and Navel Ravikant and uh, there's another a woman, a writer, and Susan Cain. Was it the Tools of Titans or Tribe of Mentors episode? Yeah, reading. Yeah, I listened but to that. But he one. asked people what what failure mm. has helped them for yeah. success now. Because most that. people yeah. see someone and they just think, oh, they're successful. Everything they've done has always been successful. That's <laughs> never the case. Such a great question. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, why don't well, you? Uh, Give yeah. your closing remarks on Walden and and uh, sure. what do you think sure. about the impact of it? Closing remarks. Well, I have to admit that's I'm not much of an outdoorsman. So the parts about fishing and gardening bored me. <laughs> but the parts about a life of intention and a life worth living and there's this great part where he's talking about how fences and in, in fences of homes, like, oh, we're, we're living with nature. We have fences. No, in his world, he was living life without a fence. It was just him and nature, no fence between him and nature. So I thought that was really cool. But if you love, it's a great book if you love reading. Because it's that little chapter about the importance of reading. And if you want to have like a sort of fictional, non-fictional account, because I think some of it was fictionalized. I'm not entirely sure. It, not everything was probably 100% accurate, but it's just a great book to read if the minimalist lifestyle or a lifestyle of intention suits you. Highly recommended. Yeah. All the book, do the work. All, all, it kind of starts to speak for itself the more you read it. It's a deep book, too. The guy's, he was very well educated, too, for sure. Well, thanks thanks for uh, talking, reading this book and then talking with me about it. I'm for sure. I had for a the blast. next one. Yeah, no, I had a blast, man. Always a blast. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Paul at a penguin latte. Have a thoughtful day.